This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. And welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guests to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Hi, my name's Marky. I'm an alcoholic. Um, AA preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their com- common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy. Neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places – prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. And this is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. 
It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So let's meet our guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, thank you. My name's Margie. Hi Margie, welcome to the show. Um, let's learn a little bit more about how, who you are. How long have you been sober? Um, I've been sober 26 years. Wonderful. And um, tell us a little bit more about, um, about yourself, family. Sure. Um, I have three children mm-hmm. in a scattered New Zealand and Australia. And I have got four grandchildren, Wonderful. which are really lovely. Um, got a lovely partner and I moved to back to Christchurch a couple of months ago. Oh, wow. Mm, from the Gold Coast. So. Oh, well, welcome back. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what it was like growing up. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, well, I come from a big family. There's mm-hmm. seven children. Wow. And um, it was it was busy. I, f- I felt really lonely. I was sort of the middle of two girls and mm-hmm. you know, one was mum's favourite, one was dad's and the boys were sort of that much older. Um, I did spend a lot of time with my younger brother, which was lovely. Um, but I felt everything was catered for, like needs, and, you know, we used to go on holidays, that sort of mm. thing. But I, I I, did feel sort of really quite lonely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I felt lo- I felt lost, really and, lost. And sort of as you, you know, progressed into your teens, um, you know, tell us a little bit about how you started drinking and what was it like for you? Um, well, I I was actually quite a slow starter, but I do remember um, when I was, I think I was 16, I remember going to a, um, a Labour Party thing actually back in the 70s and, um, you know, you have coffees and things and I actually filled my tin mug with wine. <laughs> I don't know why, but you know, it was coffee and... I think I got a bit tipsy. It was just, it was that sort of thing, but I didn't really start. Well, I can almost pinpoint the time where it actually crossed over. Okay, probably in the um, in my sort of mid to late twenties. Right, and, and and tell us about how that changed. Well, I I just started uh, because for a long time I did drink socially, like spirits. When I crossed over to wine, still wine, um, it was sort of like a pattern. I was living, we were living my, my husband and I were living in Wainui Mata at the time, and we'd you know often go say on a Friday night to the pub and have a couple mm-hmm. of wines, and then it sort of progressed. My my husband at the time he he's what I would call he's a binge drinker, but he will only drink what he has. And I remember saying to him, I don't understand why you can't stop. Because right. I'd have dinner and that sort of thing. And somewhere along the line, I kind of passed him. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I'd go to the pub and I'd have three glasses of wine, but then I'd have a bike cask. Right. And it's sort of, I remember thinking one day, oh, okay, this is interesting. It's <laughs> like, oh, right. This has sort of progressed a bit. And it just... It started from there and I realised, I kind of knew there was a little seed mm. in me that thought, mm, this isn't right, but I just, you know, I thought, oh, it's fine. 
And so I guess that change in drinking as you, you know, as your life progressed, were there any consequences other than you thinking this isn't normal? Oh, absolutely. I um, I found that I wasn't present a lot because I was either hungover or I was just obsessed. Right. I was obsessed with alcohol, like I was either hungover. I still did everything, but... You know, it's always went in hindsight when you look back. Mm-hmm. It was, um, my life was a mess. My marriage was sort of, it, it was almost sort of toxic. And um, I was just thinking about alcohol all the time, even though at that stage I didn't think I was one. Mm. I just, and I even bought a book, I actually bought a book. Oh. I remember going to um, a bookshop in Wellington and I found, saw this book, um, but I'm only a social drinker. And um, <laughs> How interesting. <laughs> I know. And it's really funny because I looked at it and I thought, oh, I have to buy this. It's got a quiz in it. It's got a quiz. <laughs> it's got a quiz. I'll find out. And I took it up to the counter and honestly, I was hiding it like it was porn. Mm. I didn't mm. want anyone to see the book. So I'm handing it over. And you almost feel like you're saying, oh, this isn't for me. This is for, you know, it's for someone else. Asking for a friend. Yeah, yeah for a friend. <laughs> And I, I remember doing the quiz and um, I, I sort of redid it because I thought it was a bit harsh and it turned out I was a hazardous drinker and I thought, thank God. Wow. I'm not an alcoholic. And, um, you know, another seven years would go by. Mm. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, so it was on my mind and it, I already felt um, odd, like insecure and didn't know how to relate with people really. I was very, very friendly, but underneath I was just this little scared yes. little rabbit. And when I was drinking, oh God, it was fantastic. And so that was that was the change, the what sometimes we refer to as the Jekyll and the Hyde. Yeah. I was bulletproof. It was it was the days off. Right. It was the insanity of during the day. Because my children were like two and four at the time, I had another one in sobriety. Um I always made, you know, it was seven o'clock was my D-Day. That was when I'd start drinking. Mm. So everything was sort of geared around that and it had to be, I really had to wait and wait and wait. So it sort of affected that. It's like, well, come on, come on, sleep. And if they couldn't sleep, it's like, you know, I'm waiting. <laughs> you're you're, you're eating into my drinking time. Yeah. And um, so so talking about, you know, obviously the, the emotional impact, the family impact, did you ever get in any trouble with the law or lose any jobs or? No, I didn't, but um, I was lucky because I, I did drink and drive a couple of times. Mm. And um, I, with jobs, it was really difficult. I know that because I almost had like a sense of entitlement that like, you know, they're happy to have me. <laughs> and I, this particular job, I was working from... I finished at seven, and if there wasn't much, I'd just chat on the phone. And then I got called in saying that, basically called on it. Mm. Mm. And I was really, um, <laughs> I was actually really rather like indignant, and I thought, how rude, mm. you know, you're mm. lucky I'm here. Mm. And it was really quite arrogant. And mm. um, it, it did affect my work because on the days where I felt really good, I was good, but the other days mm. I just 
I was just getting through the day. Mm. So I know that I was sort of robbing them of time, really. Mm. So, you know, we often describe in AA uh, your rock bottom or what was it that made you realise this needs to change or something needs to change or, or how did you get into the rooms of AA or recovery? Well, I first came, my first meeting was in 1989 in Pai in Wellington. I did a lot of geographicals um, and I knew, I mean, I kind of had a feeling then and um, I was, I had a flatmate who worked nights mm-hmm. and he was really lovely. But then he started to change, he wanted to change them so he could spend more time with me. And I thought, that's not what I signed up for. The whole reason I'm here is so that I can drink. Mm. And um, I just sort of thought this, it, it kind of, because I was living with someone else who I very rarely saw, really affected, um, it was quite intrusive on my drinking time. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I've got to do something about this. So I went to a meeting and it was massive and then I bolted. How did you find out about AA? I think it's just out there. Everybody okay. knows about AA. I didn't really know what it was or sure. how it worked. And I just thought I'll, yeah, I thought I'll go there and sort my drinking out. And um, so after that first meeting, what happened from there? I just, you know, was very um, uh, gentle on myself and thought, you know, it's okay. You just got to, it's all right, you know. The um, denial sort of set in, I guess, and I just carried on with life. I thought, mm-hmm. oh, no, no, it's okay, it's fine. And, and I long, didn't do anything. How long did you do that for? Another two years. Okay. And then I went back to another meeting and I was in Auckland by this time. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I did the same thing. I remember going, it was really small. There was old men there and I thought, no. I actually did go and see an alcohol counsellor Okay. at the same time. And she was really lovely, probably too lovely. And we had a goal set for um, putting, because I drank bottled wine as well. And she said, let's aim to getting that, you know, putting the cork back in the bottle. You know, <laughs> don't drinking at all. And I thought, oh, bless her. <laughs> yeah, never how did happened. that go? <laughs> yeah, never happened. She'd say, how did that go? You know, I didn't do it this week. Right. And um, and then two years later, when I was living in Hamilton and I had the two little girls, and one morning I remember I was really sick and there was nothing left and I thought, I feel so ill, I can't keep doing this. And um, I rang AA and I remember they said that, you know, two ladies will come and visit you this afternoon. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I actually need them now. Mm. And then the, by the time they came here, I sort of thought, I'm actually okay now, I don't need you. And mm. um, it's, yeah, it's my journey in AA started from there. And so 26 years. So let's talk about, you know, what was it like in the beginning and, you know, what were some of the things you did to keep you in sobriety and recovery? Um, well, when I first um, got sober, in Hamilton, I I didn't really have. I got a sponsor straight away, mm. but I, I don't think I chose the right sponsor because I didn't know after a week that there was actually more than one meeting a week. 
Okay. Someone said, are you going tomorrow night? And I said, what, there's oh. another one? Right. And um, it was kind of, I, I was really, really white knuckling. It, sure. it was really, really hard. Mm-hmm. I felt the, um, I didn't have like any sweats or anything like that. I just really needed, I really wanted to drink. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first week or so, um, I just, I'd have a shower at not like seven o'clock. I just didn't know what to do with all mm. my time. Mm. Because I thought, I've got all this time and I don't know how to spend it. It's like, I should be drinking by now and I'd clean the cupboards and all of that sort of stuff. Um, And then as it progressed, I think um, for a long time I didn't accept that I was an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. I knew I had a problem with alcohol, but I really did believe that I'd I'd go in there and... I let my body naturally detox and then I'd think, okay, let's reset the button Mm. And I can learn how to just put that cork back in the bottle and drink, soci- you know, drink socially. And I was in for rather a, a rude awakening. I didn't realise I'd actually have to, you know, stop completely. So, so what was it that changed that? I think it was a lot of it was like for my young family at the time because I realised there was a lot of things that came into play. My sister-in-law was coming up to stay. Um, for a few days, and I thought, she can't. <laughs> How am I supposed to drink? And I it kind of I thought, oh, that's not right. And the other thing was I thought my children are not going to be always going to bed at seven. Mm. And then I – so it was that that sort of, in a way, kept me going because I thought, I can't – nothing's changing. I keep doing this and nothing mm. is changing. And – even though it was really difficult and I didn't have didn't get the spiritual side of the program, anything like that, I thought, I can't go back. Mm. I, I was in that sort of place, you know, that they talk about where I was sort of in that jumping off place. Mm. Thought, I I can't, I can't keep doing, I can't do this. So you just touched briefly on spirituality and, you know, we talk about AA being a spiritual program, not a religious program. Mm. What what does spirituality look like for you now and potentially what was it like at the beginning? Well, <laughs> I remember my first couple of meetings, I was very um, cynical and I think, oh, yeah, I don't know about this. It seems a little bit weird to me. And... Um, I remember saying at a meeting, um, oh, I, I was scared that this was going to be a religious program and that people would um, come up at me after the meeting and, you mm. know, you know, Christians and I'll be converted and all of that sort of stuff. Well, yeah, that didn't happen. But um, I, I guess I just, once I, I think the turning point for me was once I admitted I was an, accepted I was an alcoholic, mm-hmm. It kind of the grieving sort of started, and then I was more open to something else, right? Out there, mm. whereas up till then I was sort of semi fighting it, and mm. um, and it was just for a while I had to fake it till I make it. I remember mm-hmm. praying, thinking, I don't know if this is even doing anything, mm-hmm. but then bit by bit I noticed little shifts, mm-hmm. these little gaps of serenity in my day that I never had before, mm. and I thought, oh, okay, and it just sort of went from there. I didn't, I couldn't even say the word God. I mean, God is just another, it's just a name. I'd still, mm-hmm. I call it that because I choose to. Mm. But for a long time, I couldn't say that. I thought I can't say it. And, and some of the other facets of the program that, you know, we talk about as being um, 
so important. You mentioned sponsorship. Mm. Tell us about how that's worked for you over the 26 years. Um, well, in terms of sponsorship, I haven't actually sponsored a lot. But I, I remember like when I was living in Christchurch a few years ago, there was a um, tend to be sort of like two factions and I did sponsor a bit, quite a bit on the Gold Coast but not so much in New Zealand. But you've but, had sponsors yourself? Oh, absolutely. Right, right. I've had the same sponsor for many years. Oh, wow. Okay. And she is lovely. And um, I've had her, I've been, had, yeah, a long time. Even, doesn't matter where I live. I've never bothered to get a sponsor in my, where I'm living at the time. And I use her, we we talk every single week more if I need to. Wow, yeah. And she knows everything about me, how I work. And it's, it's really good. And I can't put anything past her. And that's the thing, we don't have to do it alone. No. And um, we also talk about service as being a, an important part. Is that something that... I've always done a lot of service. Okay. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I think if I can, I will. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But I do really enjoy like getting sort of stuck in. And I found at the beginning it was good because uh, sort of the social side was a bit sort of nerve-wracking. Mm. So I think I'll just do, but I do like to help. Mm. So, yeah. so it's changed... Slowly and bit by bit, it's become the, the service or the of everything. Oh, you know, I've always done it. I still get like big social things. I still struggle with, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, no, it is great, and it's a great way to get to know people, mm. sort of naturally mm. instead of a forced situation. Mm. And that's what I like, and that's and so that of course changes the bigger dynamic. So, so Mikey, tell us about your life today. What's it like? Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, it is. I had a son in sobriety. He's 25 now. And we are so close. My kids, I have a lot of contact with my children. Mm-hmm. My grandchildren adore me. Um, yeah, I don't have to think about what I said, what I did. And um, it's just a lot more free. It's a lot more calmer. Mm. And um, it's yeah no it is it is fantastic mm. it really is even though things happen and you still complain and you know whatever it you know on the face of it, I've got nothing to complain about mm. it's it's perfect you know I'm reliable people love me and um, yeah it's 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 great and they're the gifts yeah they are the gifts and they just keep coming. Maggie, what would you recommend that someone might be able to ask themselves if they think they might have a problem with drinking? I remember my husband saying to me, I, I did say to him, I think I may have a problem with drinking, with alcohol. I knew that I did. And he said to me, if you think you, if you, think you do, you probably have. Mm. And I thought, that is so simple, but it's true. Um, I think... You do know, but you don't want to admit it. Mm. The way that I sort of got through um, accepting that I was an alcoholic was, if you think you can have one drink, go right ahead. Mm. And I thought, well, I can't. And that sort of did it. Because for a long time I did dance with the idea, no, it's okay, I haven't done this. and mm. But I know that... Um, I'm an alcoholic, and I think I kind of always did, but I really didn't want to believe it. Mm. I didn't want to go there. It was too mm. big to be without it. 
and some of the things that they they can do? Um, well, I suggest are you talking about if they when they come to AA get a sponsor straight away mm-hmm. and stay close with um, other members, get lots mm-hmm. of phone numbers, and I think practical things too, like you know going for walks, drinking lots of water. <laughs> Keeping busy, because it, I found it really hard. Mm. It was tough. But, I mean, I got there. Mm. I found the first year really difficult. But I think it's being gentle on yourself too and knowing that each day, I thought each day that I do this, I'm one day closer to feeling better. Mm. Um, I do remember when I was nine days sober, I said to my husband, I'm nine days today. <laughs> and he said, are you going to do this every day? And I said, quite possibly. That's wild. Because That's it was amazing. such a big thing and um it's i think it's just believing that it's actually going to be okay just it's not always going to be like this this is the worst it's going to be and sobriety and sobriety in terms of coming off alcohol Mm. does get better well maggie thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story story with us thank you so much lovely to be here for our listeners if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats again on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with the serenity prayer, as we do in every AA meeting. God, God grant, grant me, me the, the serenity, serenity to, to accept, accept the things, things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.